Romans chapter 2. And uh, through this chapter, been looking at the sin, the guilt of the Jew, of the religious people. And, you know, the, the word Jew, that's a New Testament term. You don't see that in the Old. They're the children of Israel. They're Israel, the nation of Israel. And in the Old Testament, and we've talked about this before, the kingdom split after Solomon, under Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Ten tribes split away uh, from the kingdom and the household of David and fell into sin and God judged them. The king of Assyria came, carried them away captive. He put his own people in their place, in their land. And when you hear Samaritan in the New Testament, that Samaritan woman that Jesus met at the well, she was one of those northern ten tribes. They were half-breeds. And they were looked down on by the Jews. The word Jew, it come from Judean. Judah and Benjamin and a portion of Levi were all that remained loyal to the family of David. And the word Jew was drawn from Judah. So that's where that name comes from. So when you're reading this, he's saying uh, that the Jewish people, those that remain loyal, those that still served God at the temple, the northern tribes, they set up a calf and they worshipped in other places. Um, and that's a study in and of itself. But these are the people that were loyal to to the church, to the temple, to the sacrifices, to the offerings, as God had prescribed them. And in chapter 1, we looked at the sins of the Gentiles, the pagan world, and really there's nothing needs to be said about that. We know they're wicked. But here we've been looking at the sins of the religious people as well. That even though the world is wicked and sinful, and by our eyes, they're far worse off than we are. Yet, in God's Word and by the law of God, we are guilty even as they are. Now that's, that's hard for man to swallow, that I can be as guilty as a wicked sinner that's out in the world committing all manner of sins that I've never even thought about committing. And yet, all are guilty and all are in need of salvation. So he comes down to 28, verse 28, chapter 2. He is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So, uh, a lot could be said here, and some of this is going to be covered by the writer in more detail in latter parts of Romans. But I think the important thing to note is there's two different Jews by this Scripture. There's the outward Jew. Now those are the ones who can trace their lineage back to Abraham. They were... Uh, of the seed of Abraham, of the nation of Israel. They were circumcised in the flesh and they kept the ceremonial outward part of the law. Those are the Jews which are outward. But there's another Jew here. And these Jews are those that have been circumcised inwardly. Not in the flesh. Not outwardly. But we've got the operation of God in the inward man, those that God has saved, that God has changed. So the outward designation of being a Jew has absolutely nothing to do with your standing in the kingdom of God. Now for these people in this day, that's a hard pill to swallow. That was against the tradition and the teachings of men. They were taught, well, you're a Jew you're going to be alright. God's favor is upon you. God's grace is with you. And you're going to be alright just because you're a Jew, because you keep ceremonies and traditions. That was not true. But you know, today, 
in the mind of people, well, I go to church, I do good things, I've been baptized, all of that is good enough. I carry a Bible. I read it sometimes. I pray sometimes. You know, all that's wonderful stuff. That's what the Jew was doing. The outward Jew. They were doing all of those things. But they were missing the operation of God in the heart. They were missing the redemption that God died through Jesus Christ to provide for man. We looked in Samuel last time, those sons of Jesse, and he told Samuel, I don't look on the outward appearance. I'm not looking at what you think and what you see, but I'm looking in the heart of man, and there is where God is looking. Though outwardly, outwardly these that sit here among us are better than 98, 99% of the rest of the world. That's outward. God's looking inward to the heart. And you know what He's looking for? We looked at the Passover and how Moses had to kill the lamb lest he be slain with them. In those days, what God was looking for as he passed through the land of Egypt was whether there was blood on the door or not. If there was no blood, he did not discriminate. The firstborn in that house died. And if there was blood, there were Egyptians that had blood on the door. There were Egyptians that came out with the children of Israel. There were Egyptians that when Moses said, Hell's coming, and all the cattle in the field's going to die, they brought their cows in. There was believers. God was looking for only one thing, the blood on the door. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And so today, God's looking in the heart for the redemption that's only through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we looked at some of the scriptures about the inward circumcision and that was not a new idea or a new doctrine. In Deuteronomy, Moses spoke of the circumcision of the heart and in Jeremiah it was mentioned as well. An Old Testament doctrine that's been fulfilled by the work of Christ in the New Testament. So in Galatians, I believe a a very... Uh, uh, the closest parallel that you're going to find to this scripture. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you're all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So in Christ Jesus, Jew or Gentile does not matter. Being a religious person your whole life or being a wicked sinner in the world your whole life, that does not matter in Christ Jesus. Whether you're a bondman, a slave who owns and has nothing to his name, or you're a man that's free, has property and has money and has goods, those mean nothing in Christ Jesus. And male or female, in this day especially, great difference was made between the males and the females. There's evidence of that you can see in Job. Job gave his daughters inheritance. That didn't typically happen in these days. The daughters didn't get inheritance. The women were looked down on. They were second class. They weren't allowed to do. But in Christ Jesus, that doesn't matter. If you're in Christ and saved, that's what matters. And you're a child of Abraham through faith. Now he's saying that a Gentile who is not a child of Abraham can be a child of Abraham. So we're not looking outward then. The outward has no bearing. What we do in the flesh 
has no bearing on whether God's done a work in the heart or not. So again, in chapter 4 of Galatians, which things are an allegory? He's speaking of Sarah and Hagar. The one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, is Agar, the law. The law is like Hagar. The law, because man is evil, cannot produce anything good for the redemption of man. Hagar could not produce the seed of promise. And so, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. So Hagar is an allegory for Jerusalem, for Judah, for the Jews, which when he wrote this was in bondage with her children. And you could say, well, he's talking about naturally. <clears throat> but he's, the, the picture here is to the spiritual side. Just because they were Jews, they were still in bondage to sin and to the devil. They needed a redeemer. On down. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free. So again, we've got two Jerusalems. The natural city of Jerusalem that was in bondage. But there's a Jerusalem from above. So you've got the outward again and the inward. You've got the work of man and the work of God. You've got what I've done versus what God's done. And if God has not done a work, everything you've done is of no value. It's not going to save us. does not help our standing with God. Coming to church this morning, and we'll be careful to say this, this is where we ought to be, saved or lost. Because there's nowhere else God's going to speak to you today and draw you to salvation if you're lost. This is where God meets, God's Word goes out, where I can learn what God's Word says, and where God can speak and draw me to redemption. But coming here and being here, that does not help my standing before God in the judgment. If I come to church faithfully my entire life and yet am missing the work of God in the heart, I'm no different than the Jew of this day. No, the true Jew, the true church, are not those that's a part of the outward body, but those that God has done a work in the heart. Circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter. So the letter, the law. On the eighth day, males that were born and under the law, they were circumcised on the eighth day. That was done according to the prescription of the law of God. God said to do that. That's the way it ought to have been done. But that was according to the letter. You know, coming to church, the Word of God says that ought to be done. There ought to be attendance given. Timothy, when they gather down at church and all they're going to do is read, they're not going to teach, they're not going to expound, they're not going to preach, they're just getting together and they're going to read through a book. Well, I can do that at home. Well, Paul said, Timothy, when they get together to read, you give attendance and you be there. God may speak to you there. So coming to church is good. It's prescribed. It's by the letter. But you know the same letter that told them to be circumcised the eighth day, the same letter they broke in their natural life. The same Word of God that says we ought to come to church and we come to try to keep it, well, in another way, we break the same letter of the law so that by the letter of the law, there's no hope for any man. And that's what we're building to. Whose praise is not of men, but of God. Now, a whole lot is done for the praise of men. Not, not even necessarily that I would come by and pat you on the back after church and say, well, that was very good. 
but just done because of what man might think or might believe. He says in John chapter 5, verse 44, this is Jesus. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? I, I, I believe that this is the case for a multitude of people in our world that the purpose in coming to church is for honor from somebody else. Not that they had pat us on the back, but you know, if I don't go, then they'll think this or they'll say this. No concern about what God would say. No inward stirring to bring them to the house of God. But what stirs them is what man thinks and desiring to have man to have a high opinion of them. You know what that is? That's seeking the praise of men with no thought of what God thinks, of how God judges, or of what God would have us to do. So how ought we to come to church? What ought to be the driving factor in someone that is born again, that has the inward circumcision? What ought to bring them to church? Because mama goes? Because daddy said we ought to go? Because the church, they'll call me if I don't show up? Because, well, somebody might think ill of me if I don't go. Is any of those proper motivations for people to go to church? All of those fall under the category of the praise of men and not of God. But what drives somebody that's saved to be here is that inward circumcision by the Spirit and God has put in them a desire to be under the Word of God. Vaughn said this to me over the years in several different ways, maybe many different times. Son, could you stay home this morning and feel good about it? There's no way. Can't do it. If I stayed home, the inward man, David said, my bones dried up within me. The inward man would eat me alive. Not because I'm worried about what you think, but because of the very conviction that God put within me the work of God in the heart. So those, they're not coming so man can see them. They're not coming to receive glory from man, but they're seeking honor from God. So what is the honor from God? In 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter number 10, verse number 18, For not he that commendeth himself is approved. So to commend, to recommend. Not he that commendeth himself is approved. So that approval, that stamp of approval, there's a lot of commending of self that goes on today. You want me to know why I should praise you. I tell you all of the good that I've done, all of the hard work that I've put in, all of the labor that's been done. But you know, that commending of self that does not bring approval from God. But whom the Lord commendeth. So bragging on self, that's one thing, but that does not mean God has approved. What matters is whether God commendeth us. So how would God commend us? By the witness of the Holy Ghost of God on what we say and on what we do. And outside of the Holy Ghost, it doesn't matter how well that it's framed, how wonderful that it sounds. You remember Herod, I, I believe it was Herod, that gave that great oration. And all of the people cheered and enjoyed the wondrous words that Herod spoke from his mouth and he died there and the worms ate him. It doesn't matter how wonderful 
that it's framed. Or how great that it sounds. But what ought to be desired by church people is whether God's going to commend it or not. Whether the Holy Ghost will bear witness to what we say or not. To saved people, I believe there's a knowledge and an understanding of what I'm talking about. That somebody stands in the Spirit of God and what they say causes a rumbling, an earthquake down in the inward man of you and your heart links up with that not by emotions. Emotions are often called the Spirit because they cry and it makes me cry a little. That must be the Holy Ghost of God. That's not the Spirit. That is emotion. You can watch a movie and get emotional in the same way. That's not the Holy Ghost. That's the flesh. Some people can get emotional easier than others. No, the Holy Ghost, that is the power of God in the inward man that is irresistible and always known. So don't look for emotions. Don't desire emotions. Don't desire to sound good. But what ought to be sought for is the praise and the honor and the commendation of God that God's Spirit would bear witness to what we say. Outside of God's witness, there is no approval from God. It's dead as a hammer and as worthless as a rubber nickel of no value in the kingdom of God it is outward. And that's where, that's where religion lies, is in the outward man. So, one more place in John chapter 8, thinking about the, the Jew, the Gentile. So here Jesus is speaking to Pharisees. Now these were Jews. They were descendants of Abraham. They were circumcised the eighth day. The Pharisees were a people that kept the law the strictest. That's what they were known for. If you look them up in the dictionary, that's what you're going to see. You're going to see an orthodox people that strove to keep the law, all of it outward. But this is what Jesus says of them. In verse 39 of John chapter 8, They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Is that true? Outwardly, that was true. They were descendants of Abraham. But now what they're saying is, we're right with God, Abraham's our father. Well, this is what Jesus says. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Now listen to how he says that. Were they Abraham's children? Outwardly they were. But inwardly, they were not. See, he's talking about something different than what they're thinking in their mind. Are you a church member? Outwardly, you may be a church member. But if you were a part of a church in that word, beautiful word, you look up church through the New Testament and it is the called out. The people that God through His eternal invitation has called out of sin and into His kingdom through Christ Jesus. So, Jesus says if you were Abraham's children and I believe firmly that He's talking in the same manner that Paul did in the third chapter of Galatians, the children of Abraham are those by faith. We'll dig into that deeply on in Romans. If you were Abraham's children, you'd do the works. There would be some evidence and some proof in your life that you were children of Abraham. So would that not apply to us as well? If we were children of God, if we were a part of the true church of the living God, not just outwardly, but inwardly, would there not be evidence in our life that would prove what we say we are? This is what Jesus says of these in verse 42. If God were your father, 
ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father, the devil. Was Abraham the devil? Abraham was not the devil. Abraham's a man held in high regard in the scripture. Abraham was a man that believed God. We're not talking about the flesh. We've got to get the mind out of the natural world and look towards the spiritual. In the natural world, we might be a Sunday school teacher. In the natural world, we might be a deacon. In the natural world, I had a person tell me this one time, I was a charter member of this church when it was built. We might be a charter member of the church. In the natural world, we might have been baptized by the best pastor that we've ever had at the church. In the natural world, we may carry the Bible. See, none of those things matter. Christ is looking inwardly at the inward man and whether there's ever been a work of God or not. These people were not saved. They did not have faith. They trusted in themselves and all of the outward. And Jesus said, inwardly, you're the children of the devil. It's him that you belong to and your life is evidence of who your father is. Now people can stay home, not be guilty. They can sin and not be condemned because their father does not correct them. You've seen it and I have too. You see children... I went to school with some, and you knew the ones that parents would correct them, and you knew the ones that parents didn't care what they done. You know how you could tell? You didn't have to see them. You didn't have to know their name. But you knew by the way they acted and the way they communicated what they were going to get when they got home. Some could get suspended, and it'd be scared slapped to death. And some would say, well, I'm just going to set it to house. Tells you a lot about what goes on at home, don't it? Well, our life, it speaks a lot about who our Father inwardly truly is. God is looking for the inward man, for the work of God in the heart. And so, chapter 3. Now he's going to answer some questions here. And he does this several times through this book. He stops to answer questions that would naturally come up from the doctrine that he's teaching. Man has a hard time swallowing doctrine that goes against tradition. Even if, and now this is the truth, we, we taught in study. It's been a while back. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And even though you've got it wrote down, and you can read it as plain as day, and people can hear it, I don't believe that. That ain't what I've been taught. That ain't what, that ain't what Daddy said. That ain't what the church believes. I tell you, tradition's a hard thing to get, get rid of. Even with proof of the Bible the doctrine of God. So Paul, the Holy Ghost through Paul, is going to stop, take time to answer some questions that are going to naturally come up. So what have we got to so far? Well, the Gentile world, they're sinful and guilty. And the Jew, the religious crowd, they're sinful and guilty too. And when they die, they're going to face the same judgment and they're going to meet the same fate except they be saved. So, Natural question. Verse 1. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there in circumcision? So there's the question. Well, if the Jew is going to be judged exactly like the Gentile, if the Jew has to be saved like the Gentile needs to be saved, then why would I want to be a Jew? What advantage in a sense of beyond, superabundant, superior 
or excessive. That's the meaning of the word. So why is it better to be a Jew than to be a Gentile? So you know, people at church, they got to be saved just like people that's out in the world. What advantage is coming to church then? Now that's the natural thinking of man. So he's going to answer, much every way, chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Oracles, that's utterances. So we're going to look more at the advantage of the Jew in a later chapter in Romans. But here he's going to give the first advantage, chiefly, that's first, that's the most. Much every way chiefly, and the biggest reason that it's better is because they have the utterance, the Word of God. Would you not say that against a Gentile world, that's a great advantage to have the utterances of God? We're, we're living in a world today, and amongst the people, now you think about where we are, and you've heard Bible Belt, you've probably heard that your whole life, but that's, that's the truth. You get outside of this part of the country, and in the United States, there's very few places where you can find the gospel. I worked with a man, I've told this before, he was from Nebraska. He said you might be 45 minutes between towns. Every town's got a Catholic church. But you might have to drive three or four hours from one place to find a place that's called a Baptist church. And even then you don't know what you're going to hear there. But even in our part of the world, where it's not like that, and the God's truth, where there's still several places within reasonable driving distance where we can hear the true gospel of God, even still, in this part of the world, and I'm speculating, but most likely, the most abundant place of the truth of the Word of God in the world is in our area. Even here, there's people that do not know anything about the Word of God. There are people that believe the Bible says that if you believe, it's alright. As long as you believe, you're going to heaven. Are there not? There's a multitude of people that believe that. Is that the Bible? If you take a verse out of context, it is. That's not the whole of the Bible. There's people that do not know what salvation and being saved truly is. Right here in our community, our neighbors, people in our families that do not know what it is to be saved and the work that God came to do through Jesus Christ. That's it. No knowledge. You know how they're going to come to Christ and be saved? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. How shall they call on Him in whom they've not believed? How can they believe in Him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear with a preacher? That's the tenth chapter of Romans. So, there's going to have to be a hearing. People can't believe in Jesus if they do not know anything about Him. Can they? They're going to have to have some knowledge. And that knowledge is going to have to come from the Word of God. And people that go to church, that have been raised up in church, did that save them? In no wise did it save them. But what knowledge that they've got over top of the rest of the world. A knowledge that Paul says in 2 Timothy. Now Paul's mother and grandmother were believers. And Paul says the faith that's in them is in you also. 
But in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned it, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. To be raised up in a place where we can know the scriptures and what the Bible says and God's judgment and God's anger and God's wrath and what truly being saved is, while that does not save you, that provides a great advantage over somebody that knows nothing of God that we might come to Him in salvation. You're not going to get an atheist that knows nothing about God to come and be saved. You know what he's going to have to do? He's going to have to hear and learn. Now, most people that attend this church that are of any age, I'm going to say ten, and that's arbitrary, but they've got the knowledge already that they need to be saved. All, that, all that's required is that the Holy Ghost would enlighten them to it. But the base of the knowledge is there because they've been brought up under the truth and heard the gospel their entire life. Thank God for that. But you know, these people that's the same age that's in their classrooms that don't know the first thing about salvation, they don't know the first thing about sin, they don't know the first thing about judgment, and they do not know one thing about the Word of God and being saved. Do those that know not have a great advantage? Now the Jew, the Jew had the law and the prophets. The law told them what sin was. The, the law gave pictures and types and shadows of the work that Christ was going to do. You can get up in the prophets and the writings of David and the Psalms and you can see God telling them exactly what this Messiah was going to come and do and accomplish and bring in by the power of God. They knew that one was coming. They had knowledge that God was sending somebody that was going to say. Now I realize a lot of them were looking for a king to overthrow Rome and to make them foremost. I realize that. But not all of them. There was a man named Simeon that was in the temple waiting on the Lord and they brought him in. And a woman, a prophetess named Anna that was also there. You know what they were doing? Simeon, God said, Simeon, you're not going to die till you see my means of salvation. And as he held the Lord Jesus, he said, let me depart in peace because I've seen him. And Anna held him. So it wasn't all. There was people that had a knowledge that was provided by the Word of God and what a great advantage that that gave the Jew even though it didn't save them. It gave them an advantage that the rest of the world did not have. The Assyrian and the Egyptian and the Babylonian and the Roman, they did not know that there was a Jesus coming. They didn't know that God was sending one to bring salvation. But the Jew did. They had an advantage over the rest of the world. In Psalm 78, we'll just look at a couple scriptures in the Old Testament of what God says the advantage is. Psalm 78, verse 4, We will not hide them from their children, shewing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, 
even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. So God established it to be passed down. Where at? Where was this passed? In the house. From the parents to the children. Over and over and over again that the children as they grow, that they wouldn't be taught by the world to trust in the world and seek after the world and seek after pleasure, but that they might put their expectation in God. What an advantage to grow up with that knowledge. In Psalm 147, verse number 19, He sheweth His word unto Jacob, and His statutes and His judgments to Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation. And as for His judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. So God says Himself that He's given a law and His righteousness and His judgments to Israel and He's not given it to anybody else on the earth. What an advantage to know about God. To know about His righteousness and His judgment when nobody else knew. That's the way we are. Me and Morgan were talking the other day and I said, you really, you really get it down and look at how many that are lost and how few really have true God-sent salvation, the circumcision of the heart. It makes you realize how rare what you've got really is. Most have got outward religion and they've got outward works and they've got what they've done. But how few? Well, I tell you this, it's the same with knowledge. People that have any knowledge, that are raised under any knowledge, is a very small number. God's gave us a knowledge that He's not given to the majority of the world. Now that didn't save. It didn't save the Jew. And it ain't saved everybody that's here. So that leads us to the next question then. We're back in Romans 3. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? So not believe. To disbelieve or to remain unbelieving. So here's the Jew. They've got this knowledge. They've got this law. Well, if they don't believe... Does that make it of no effect? That word means to render entirely idle or useless. Well, was it worthless? Because some didn't believe, was it a waste for God to give them that knowledge? That's the question. So verse 4, the answer. God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and thou mightest overcome when thou art judged. So, in, in Matthew chapter 12, I think here is an important thing. Matthew chapter 12, verse number 41. First of all, the whole crowd were not unbelievers. But there were some that believed and were different. 12, verse 41 of Matthew the men of Nineveh shall rise in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. What's happening? Well, there were people that believed. And those believers were going to bring greater condemnation on those that remained in unbelief. And as he says here, for what if some, it wasn't all that did not believe, there were a number of them, though a remnant, and a very small remnant, by the words of the Old Testament, there was a remnant that believed and were delivered because of their faith. 
But he says this in Isaiah. And you know, I, I know how we think. So much of it's wasted. It's a waste of time. The devil would like to convince me that this is a waste of time, that you're not helping anybody, and that nobody cares, and that nobody wants to listen, and you're not doing any good, and you're wasting your effort. But you know what he is? He's a liar from the beginning and the father of it. That's what he does. He's a liar. And in Isaiah, I've got the Word of God to prove it. In Isaiah 55 verse 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return void. Did the word of God, was that that was sent to the Jew and they did not believe it, did it return void? Was it empty when it came back? No, it fulfilled. Listen to what he says. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. This will tie in very well with what Anthony said this morning about the overflowing scourge. Now this is a fearful thought here. Maybe you've already thought of it like this. The Word of God's come. People's not believed it. But God says it's prospering in the thing where He sent it. See? So the preacher's going to preach. Nobody's going to come. Well, that was a waste. Nobody moved. That ain't true. If God's sending the Word, the Word is prospering in the thing whereto He sent it. You know what God may be sending the Word for? To shut people's eyes. To close their ears. To make their heart waxed fat. That they would die guilty, lost and undone. The Word of God's not returning void. No, it's either, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, God caused him to triumph everywhere he went. Did everybody believe everywhere he went? That's not what he was saying. No, but he was the savior of life unto life to those that believed. But to those that didn't, he was the savior of death unto death. The law and the word and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, if it doesn't draw to salvation... It's bringing greater condemnation upon the hearers and the non-believers. So, is the Word of God wasted because people don't believe? Has God wasted His effort this morning because people don't hear? No. No, let God be true and every man a liar. Now, if we would think on this rule and, and let it be the center of our thinking for just a little while, I believe it could help us. Let this be true. And every man, that, that includes me, a liar. David said in his haste that all men were liars. And David was correct in what he said. All men are liars and God's Word overrules every one of them. So though man says it's wasted, God says it's not. Now there's an interesting quote here. As it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Now maybe that scripture is not familiar I didn't recognize where it was from at first either. It's in Psalm 51. Now if you don't recognize that number, David had sinned, he had lain with Bathsheba, he had killed Uriah, and here he is, Nathan has pointed the finger at him and said, you're the man, and here's David repenting of his sins. That's this chapter. So in Psalm 51, verse number 3, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, 
and be clear when thou judgest. There's the quote. It's out of this book. David's acknowledging his sin. He's acknowledging his transgression. He says, God, I've sinned against you and against you only. And you know what he's admitting here? God, you're right to destroy me. I have sinned. He is agreeing with what God said. God said, David, you're the man. And David's saying, you're right in your judgment. You're right in your speaking. I am the man. I have transgressed. I have failed. I have come short. And I'm coming and asking you for mercy and forgiveness. That's what David's saying in his prayer. God's always going to be clear when He judges. He's going to be without blame or guilt or injustice when He judges. If man's guilty because of his conscience, then what about man that's got knowledge of this? He's guiltier. God's going to be clear when He judges. He's going to judge rightly. You can rest assured of that fact. And when God says, David, you're a sinner, the wise thing is what David did to fall down and say, God, I'm a sinner. You've judged me right. You've spoken the truth. I'm a liar. And you're the one that's right. That's what Paul's saying here. You know what all of man ought to do before the Word of God? I am a liar and I am wrong, and God, everything that you say about me is right and the truth. I tell you what, there'd be a lot more people come to the gospel and be saved if that's the way they thought. When God deals and says that they're lost, if they'd say, God, you're right, and I'm a liar, they'd respond to that call. But it's, it's arguing and wrestling with the knowledge that God gives out of His Word that prevents man from coming to the truth. We're right now out of time. Let's look in, in one more place. In Psalm 62. Psalm 62, verse number 9. Surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance together, they are altogether vanity. Now that's what God says about man. You know what the lowest man is? He's vanity. He's nothing. And the men of high degree, they're nothing as well. And if you put them all together in the balance against the Word of God, it's just like it's empty. They've got no bearing. They've got no righteousness. They've got no holiness. But I've done this. And I've done that. And I've done the other. Let God be true. And every man a liar. You've done nothing. You've done nothing of any value. You've done nothing of any righteousness. You've done nothing that's helped your standing before God. If you're a man of low degree, you're vanity. If you're a man of high degree, you're vanity. Let God be true. And every man a liar. That's all that's on our heart. Anybody, anything you'd like?